Welcome back to The Art of Adaptation, a real fake podcast production sponsored by Michigan State University's Create Microgrant program. Today, we are interviewing Camille Simone Thomas, a playwright, activist, and performer based out of New York City. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to our podcast, The Art of Adaptation. I'm Jason, as here, as always, with Nate. And today we have with us again for season two, the wonderful Camille Simone Thomas. Um, welcome back, Camille. Thank you for being with us again. And for people who might not have listened to your last episode, can you describe in your own words what you do and a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me back. My name is Camille Simone Thomas. She, her pronouns. Um, I am an actor, playwright, and producer. I'm like putting my producer hat on more and more, seeing how that's going for me. Um, I really just call myself a creative because I do a little bit of everything, even though I am primarily an actor. I don't like to limit myself to just acting. Awesome. And I want to start off with one of the things you mentioned, uh, playwright. Last time we talked to you, you were performing, you can take out a parent plus loan on Twitch. Uh, since then, you've had a couple more staging productions as well as a fundraising effort to continue. Can you talk about how the journey of that show has been over the past year since we've last talked to you? Yeah, it's gone through a couple of different iterations, including one where I'm not acting in it. So that was actually really fun to listen to because I'm pretty much a one woman show. I'm like, okay, well, now I'm going to step back and be able to hear it and see it just as a writer and not necessarily as the writer and actor. Um, so that was super beneficial to me, especially in clearing up some things about the script because that was my first full length production I'd ever written. So a lot of the things I wrote, it was just, I was like, oh yeah, I know what I'm saying. Let me just put this down here. <laughs> um, and then when someone else got the script, they had a lot of questions and I was like, oh, it's clear as mud to other people who are not me, like what I meant when I was saying these things. Um, so that really helped shape my writing process. And then it was done as sort of a desktop documentary film. So instead of a person acting in front of the camera, I don't know if you've ever seen desktop documentaries or desktop films, but all of the action takes place over the laptop. So like Camille will say, oh, I need money. And then she'll pull up her budget on her spreadsheet on her laptop. And like, it's a screen recording of Camille pulling up the budget and her talking while these things are happening. And you see her like changing the numbers around, trying to figure out the money situation. Um, and I had never seen film or theater of that type before. So that was super interesting. It does sound really interesting. And that adaptation from something a little bit more traditional, you know, the one woman show, all the way to something that's almost completely digital. Was that affected by the pandemic at all? Was it a little bit more of a creative choice? Was it a combination? It was a combination. Um, the theater company I was working with, American Slavery Project, it was their suggestion to do it that way. And then once they explained the concept to me and showed me a couple of different desktop videos, I was like, oh, duh, this makes perfect sense. Like, what more does college students use than their laptop? Like, you can tell whole stories just from seeing people's search history, like seeing what they like on YouTube, you definitely get a sense of who that person is. And it really lent itself to the story. And this isn't the only play you've worked on the past few years. Uh, you competed in 24-hour plays contest. You have to play At God's Back for the 20 by 20 Fringe Festival, which you won an award for. Um, I believe you've also done some other writing. How has that been focusing on multiple projects as a playwright? It's going well. For the 24-hour Nationals Play Festival, I'm one of the producers. I thought about applying as a writer, 
Um, but my writing process is not conducive to the rapid turnaround that the 24 hour play festival requires since you like write all night and then the actors get the script the next morning. And I'm definitely not a, a quick writer that way. Um, and then for the 20 by 20 Fringe Festival, I was only nominated. I didn't win. There were four nominees. It's all right, though. The person who won, he wrote a musical, um, and his was the only musical in the finalist category. So I was like, okay, musicals are something special. Like, I understand why he could win and why he did win. Um, but how you said, how has my writing process been during the pandemic? The writing process, writing multiple projects at once, and workshopping a bunch of things. Yeah. Um, just a lot of time management. I don't, I just, I write as I am called to write, like as I'm inspired to write. I'm like, okay, this is a topic I'm interested in. Let me start researching. Let me start writing. And then I just write based on passion projects. I haven't been commissioned yet. So I'm like passionate about everything that I'm doing versus, you know, having someone ask me to write something. And I'm like, eh, I don't really know. I don't really know if I want to do that. Um, so I'm just really trying to learn how to balance like all of my different hats and like when is it time to be an actor when is it time to be a writer when is it time to be a producer so i'm working on that that's great um that's a lot a lot of of new things you seem to be working on since the last uh time we interviewed you obviously the last time we interviewed you you know it was the very beginning of the pandemic we didn't have a vaccine or anything like that um how would you say that you're doing just in general as a creative um, now compared to one year ago? I'm doing really well as a creative. I think what I've learned most over this pandemic is how to have autonomy over my art and how to have autonomy over my career. Um, I'm moving back to New York in two weeks, actually. Oh my goodness. Yes, this is my first time on a lease. I've never signed a lease before. In college, I lived in the dorms like my entire college career. Um, and then obviously I live with my parents right now. So I'm going back to New York with a whole new level of confidence, but also I'm trying not to get back into the work, 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 grind, grind, grind. If I'm not auditioning every day, why am I here? Um, because that was not a productive mindset for me to have the last time I was in New York. Um, so as an artist, I think I just kind of know more what type of art I want to be involved in and what type of art I want to create, which is something really nice. That's great that that's some really good insight into how how the past year has kind of changed you um and i believe your you said that your word of 2020 was self-love and i think that kind of connects to what you were if you would like to elaborate more on that oh yeah i always forget my word i have a word and i do so good and then i kind of forget about it but i think self-love for 2020 was a good word now that I'm reflecting on it, I think I did take a lot of care of myself, take good care. I developed really healthy routines. Like I get up, I work out just about every morning. I journal just about every morning. Um, I pray just about every morning. Um, so I think as an artist developing that, that routine of self-love, because you're not taught knowing how to love yourself. Like it's not something that comes as naturally to us as one may think. Like you have to learn like, oh, is this loving for me to eat brownies for dinner every night? Is this loving for me to, you know, go out and party every night? And if, if that's loving to you and that's how you feel you deserve to be loved, then go ahead. But I know for me, I had to realize what my routine was and what was healthy and loving for me. You mentioned a little bit about, you know, making lists and like getting things done for the day, planning ahead and not trying to overburden yourself. There seems to be a pattern with you as a creative saying, 
this is something I want to do and focusing on that one mindset, trying to get that one goal and setting it like a timeline. It seems to happen saying like, I want to write a play. I want to get a play produced. I want to move to New York. Can you talk about how that works for you as somebody taking a step back and trying to be more self-loving? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think trying to step back from that is just realizing that I don't have to do all of it all the time at one time. Um, right now I'm in the transition between being a producer with the 24 hour plays. And I know I want August to be my playwriting month, like the month that I just do a lot of writing, but I am still feeling that compulsion to go on Playbill every day and see what auditions there are and be like, okay, now I still need to audition. Knowing that I'm, I'm trying to make that conscious shift to being a writer um, and just understanding that there is enough time and there is enough resources to go around for everyone to have that success. And I don't need to like try to stretch myself super thin. And I just think acting has a more immediate payoff than playwriting does. Like when you act and you're in a show, you can post it on Instagram. People like clap for you. You're like, yay, I did the thing. But playwriting, oh my God, I'm writing for months and rewriting for months. And then no one even sees it till like a year later. So it's like a much slower, much steadier, much longer grind. And something that you also posted about was feeling as though you didn't have any hobbies outside of your creative arts. It was your passion for so long that it, as soon as it became your career, really didn't have an outlet. And you started working, not working, that's the wrong word for this question. Uh, you started enjoying and having fun with trapeze and practicing trapeze arts. Can you talk about finding a creative hobby outside of being a creative worker? Yeah, I mean, Trapeze was something that I've always wanted to do. I've only taken one class just because it is a little bit expensive. And I was like, I cannot keep doing this. Um, but I was really glad that I did it, especially because, oh my God, my first two classes, I cried because I was like, I suck at this. I'm really bad at it. And I just realized, I was like, when was the last time you did something for the first time that you were like really bad at too? And you continued to like keep going and keep pushing through. Um, so I mean, I think I'm a serial hobbyist. I'm always like picking up something small and like putting it down. Like I sew for sometimes, and then I've tried crocheting. So I don't know. Maybe at first I thought that was an issue. I was like, oh, Camille, you need to pick something and get good at it and be good at that thing. But I'm like, no. If it's fun for me for three months to do this thing, it's fun for me for three months to do this thing. Something that stuck out to me as being very different from your other works is that you helped. Uh, let me see if I can get it right. You helped create the course Theater of Change, Reimagining Justice Through Abolition for Columbia Law School. You were part of that course process. What was that like being called on for this very prestigious help and being recognized as an expert in that field and doing something that's not necessarily playwriting or acting or one of the other hobbies you pick up? What was that experience like? Yeah, um, I don't think I was necessarily called upon to do it. It was something I applied to do. Um, and then obviously I went through the application process and then there was an application and an audition process. Um, so it was a collaborative effort between Columbia law students, artists and community activists to develop a piece around prison abolition. I came in as one of the artists. Um, it was great. I love the process. I think it really satisfied my intellectual curiosity because a lot of my work has been social or centered around social justice movements and different um, community organizing, because that's one of the things I miss. I love learning. I love learning and reading so much. And they gave us so much academic literature to read about prison abolition that I was like, my brain is on fire and I love it. 
Um, I don't always get to work myself as academically as I would like being an artist. Um, so I really enjoyed collaborating with people from different fields, law students. And I was like, I know absolutely nothing about law and like hearing how law intersects with art, intersects with activists in these different fields in New York. And it was great because again, it's on Zoom. So we had people from all over the country calling in who were all passionate about prison abolition, which is a thing I also did not know much about, but I was like, I like social justice. I like theater. Columbia's cool. Let me go apply for this program. Um, and so prison abolition does get, I feel like it needs better marketing because it's really just redirecting the resources that we typically give to police departments where they have like million dollar budgets and putting them towards community resources like school, housing, um, healthcare. And I was like, oh, well, when you explain it that way, it just seems like something that makes sense. I feel like prison abolition is a scary term for a lot of people, um, especially because it's not something we have seen before. So it's hard for many people to conceptualize what that might look like. Within that, you said you greatly enjoy working with activism. And obviously we talked to you still in the heat of Black Lives Matter and during a lot of um, the processes with that movement as it's still ongoing. But a couple key things have happened since that movement. There's been some legislation introduced, uh, the sentencing in Derek Chauvin, as well as many, many much smaller and much more individualized cases. Minneapolis uh, working to dissolve its police department is one of the major things. Where do you see the space for um, that type of movement since we last talked to you, especially as an artist, being someone who tries to convey that and make it more understandable, like you said, make it just make sense when you speak it out loud. You do a lot of writing in that respect. You do a lot of acting in that respect. Do you feel that there's been a change, uh, a push in direction, some progress? Mm -hmm. I think there has been progress, but people still need to stay on fire for this sort of work. Um, I also work part-time at Wayne State, and last year over the summer, we had this series called What's Going On? And it was just like community dialogues within Wayne State about different social justice movements and like how people can help and like what does it look like in the Asian community and what issues are they facing and what does it look like in the black community and people were coming to those dialogues so frequently and like zoom rooms of 60 70 people big and now we're doing the what's going on series again this summer and the zoom rooms are five to ten people big so maybe we can chalk that up to zoom fatigue but it's also it's easy to be passionate when things are happening right now and in your face, but it's harder to have that sustaining work that you need to do to keep this going. So, I mean, it was great that people were on fire, but I just want to see that fire still blaze. And I guess I'm working on like how to keep the fire blazing for others and how to keep myself sustained and going forwards in all of these movements as well. And this is somewhat of an offshoot of that, but something I found very admirable that you've done is you posted both your rejections and your acceptances, a selection of them, of course, not all of them. It sounds like you do a lot of applications, um, but being so open and willing to talk about that moving forward of, I apply to things and I didn't get it. That's completely okay. I apply to things and I got it. I'm very happy about them. And just that continual forward progression. Can you talk about becoming comfortable with that as an artist? Like you said, slowing down a little bit, not having to always grind, but still feeling comfortable with rejection. Mm hmm. Um, I think that's just what it is as an artist. You apply for so many things and you get rejected for so many more. You just have to become comfortable with it because rejection happens. It's how you move forward that determines who you are and like how your career will take shape. Yeah, very succinct and it makes a lot of sense that way.
Um, you've also continued to do, like you said, you're moving back to New York. You've done a lot of work remotely. Do you see yourself as you start working back in New York, staying in this digital performance and digital playwriting lens, or do you feel yourself transitioning more to some of the standardized theater practices, acting practices, and writing practices? Mm -hmm. um, I think I still do some digital performance. I know I do kind of want to take a break from it because we've been doing it this whole year and a half, and I'm like, cool, done that for a while. I want to put that down. Um, but I just have learned so much in digital theater. I was just in a performance of Electra with the National Women's Theater, and it was a, what is it called? Maximally accessible production. So in the production, we had uh, someone who was deaf in the show, and we had, a, we had sign language interpreters throughout the whole rehearsal process. And I was like, I have never like acted with a sign language interpreter. Like, I don't know this world at all. And we had several people who were handicapped in the production or differently abled, and I'd never worked with people who were differently abled. And they explained, they were like, well, in theater, like things are just not accessible. Like if I say I need to lay down because I have chronic pains, they don't let me lay down. But when we're here Zooming, I can just rehearse from my bed and be able to still commit and be involved fully. Um, so I definitely want to stay part of theater that is so accessible and engaging to the people who are not often thought of and who often do not get to engage with theater. But I also miss like acting in person and I want to start doing film and TV. So that's another thing that I'm kind of looking towards. That's great that you're you're planning on sort of holding on to this um, new skill that's been acquired in in using the internet in this way that we kind of had to for the pandemic. Um, do you think there are any other things that you plan on holding on to moving forward from this pandemic era that is hopefully coming to a close rather soon? Yeah, I definitely want to stay involved in the Michigan art scene and the Detroit art scene specifically, um, because there are cool things happening in Detroit. And I was like, oh my God, all the artists here, not just actors, but like musicians and writers and dancers, I see so many things happening here. Um, and I love Detroit. So I definitely want to be able to come back and do things here, get paid to do things here. That would be amazing. Um, and still have a career in New York. And I never thought a career in Michigan. I never really thought about art in Michigan. I was like, mm, no, I'm going to go to LA or I'm going to go to New York or Atlanta. Like I'm not going to be here. Um, but Michigan is amazing. I really like it. Like you said, you didn't really consider that before we have had the opportunity to have you on this podcast twice now. Is there anything you would like to tell your previous self a year ago about things you might not have known or things that you've never considered that are either great opportunities or things you'd like to keep working on? Um, I guess the thing that I'm thinking about most right now is working in season and like working in your season. Um, I don't want to get biblical. I mean, I love God, so I'll just talk about it. But um, it's like, you know, there's a time to plant and a time to harvest, like a time to grow and a time to rest. Like that is so true. Um, so just work in your season, Camille. If it's a rest season, be there fully. If it's a grind season, be there fully. That's great. And I think that's probably good advice for anyone dealing with any sort of, you know, massive societal change that's going on right now um, with the pandemic and everything. Um, well, thank you for coming on to the podcast again um, for, for, for the second time. Um, if there's anything that is coming up soon or 
within the next year, I guess, that you would like to plug or anything that you particularly like um, that you would like to share with other people? Um, yeah, totally. Uh, come check out the 24-hour plays. We are going live on Tuesday at 8 p.m. You can just follow us on Instagram at 24-hour plays. Let me look this up right now so I do not get it wrong. Okay, yeah, I was right. It's just 24, number two, number four, our plays on Instagram um, and come see some cool art from cool creatives. That's what I'm producing. That concludes today's episode. For more information on Camille, visit the show notes down below. For more episodes, visit theartofadaptation.com or search The Art of Adaptation on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you for listening.